0: Our scripture today is Exodus chapter 10, 1 through 29. It is, a, again, a long passage. I'm going to go ahead and read the whole passage. You can read along with me in your Bible or uh, look up at the screen. These are the 8th and ninth plagues as we go through the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 10, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt partially with the Egyptians, and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse, if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country and they shall cover the face of the land so that no one can see the land and they shall eat what is left to you after the hail. And they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field. And they shall fill your houses and the houses of all your servants and of all the Egyptians, as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day they came on earth to this day. Then he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. And he said to them, go serve the Lord your God. But which ones are to go? Moses said, we will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and our daughters and with our flocks and herds. For we must hold a feast to the Lord. But he said to them, The Lord be with you, if ever I let you and your little ones go. Look, you have some evil purpose in mind. No, go, the men among you, and serve the Lord, for that is what you are asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, so that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the land of Egypt. All that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind had brought the locusts. The locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt, such a dense swarm of locusts as had never been seen before, nor ever will be again. They covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened and they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field, through all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, forgive my sin, please, only this once, and plead with the Lord, your God, only to remove this death from me. So he went out from Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord turned the wind into a very strong west wind, which lifted the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in all the country of Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel, had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burn offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind. For we must take Take of them to serve the Lord our God, and we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again, for on the day you see my face you shall die. Moses said, As you say, I will not see your face again. Father, we come to you today and we pray that you would do the opposite of what happened to Pharaoh. May our hearts be softened at the display as your word is preached today, uh, that we might have a heart of repentance and faith and know the blessing of a heart that is in tuned to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have the, the same incident Um, And two different takes on it, for instance, a homeowner living in Mexico Beach and a roofer living in Panama City Beach uh, might have very different experiences financially in terms of Hurricane Michael. For one, it was the most devastating financial event ever. For the other, it was the most, well, enriching event ever. There are two ways of looking at the same event. And sometimes it's because one benefits and the other doesn't. We see that with the children of Israel here. They will benefit from the hard-heartedness of Pharaoh. They will be freed from the Egyptians uh, come a number of days. Because God will bring his justice. And provide justice uh, because of the slavery that the Egyptians have uh, put Israel in. Uh, But... Even as we deal with certain difficulties in our lives, we can approach it in two different ways. You think of Mary Poppins, right? Mary Poppins, um, in every job that must be done, there is an element of fun and snap uh, the jobs again. A spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down, right? You just have to have the right attitude about the difficult thing that you go through and everything is... Going to be a little bit better. Well, that's sort of the power of positive thinking, and the power of positive thinking will only get you so far. But we find, what we find in our text today is quite a different dynamic going on. That as we think of Pharaoh and we put our place, ourselves in the place of Pharaoh, we think about uh, how we would respond to the difficult, uh, the difficulty that God has placed Pharaoh in. Would we have a soft, responsive heart? Would we have a repentant heart? Would we experience that blessing in the face of difficulty? Because the truth is that when it comes to the awesome work of God in this world, that we are going to respond one of two ways. Either our heart is going to be hard at the awesome acts of God in this world, or our heart is going to be soft and responsive. One is its own worst punishment, to have a hard heart. And one is its own greatest blessing, to have a soft and responsive heart. And we find when it came to Pharaoh that that his heart was hardened. And specifically, as I've mentioned in previous weeks, the Bible in Exodus refers to the hard heart of Pharaoh in three different ways. One, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Secondly, his heart was hardened. And thirdly, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And what we find here in this text is an emphasis three different times in chapter 10 where it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. As we mentioned last week, what we find is the dynamic that naturally when we come into this world, we come into this world as people who are opposed to God. And that God has a restraining hand to prevent people from being as sinful and as evil as they can be. We see that in Romans chapter 1 and God at times will lift his restraining hand and allow people to grow in their hard-heartedness. And what we find is that is what's going on with Pharaoh, that as we move toward the final plague, that God is going to remove his restraining hand from Pharaoh so that he will be even more of who he is naturally, hardened to the things of God. Then the Lord said to Moses, Exodus 10:1, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart, the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them. Now, in our age, I think we uh, as Westerners respond naturally a little bit differently than Pharaoh did in terms of demonstrating a hard heart. We'll find in the text that, that what led to this hard heart was primarily a lack of humility, pride, and I think we can be guilty of that as well in our culture, um, because that is part of the human nature. In Pharaoh's day, they had a worldview that related to a world of God or gods, and so it was not unusual for them to consider the gods' involvement in uh, this this earth and in creating difficulty and help in the world. And so, for Pharaoh, the fact that the God of the Hebrews uh, was putting hurt on him uh, was a surprise because he didn't think initially that Yahweh was as powerful as his gods, uh, but nonetheless, he understood the reality. What we deal with in our culture in response to a hard heart is, I think, bitterness. That tends to be where people go in response to the difficulty that they face. In this world, God, why are you bringing this bitter, this, this difficulty, this hardship into my life? You're not supposed to do that. I know my redeemer lives. I know my redeemer, redeemer lives. What comfort this sweet sentence brings? Where's that line come from? Well, it comes from the hymn, of course, I Know That My Redeemer Lives, but it originally comes from somewhere in the Bible. Where does it come from? Job, very good. Audience participation here, that's great. It comes from the book of Job. Job dealt with his share of difficulties in life, did he not? And we read in Job chapter 19, verse 25, for I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth, And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself. And my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. In the middle of the difficulties that he's going through that he does not understand, he is still able to affirm that he knows that his Redeemer lives. Prayed for uh, Jamison Stockhouse um, today in our prayer time. Christy uh, is his wife, and they have four children. I I knew Jamison in campus ministry when I was involved in RUF. He was a fellow campus minister. uh, As most of the people were, the second go-round in my ministry experience, they were all younger than I was. And As a young minister, he and his wife planted a church in California. And um, Many months ago, he was diagnosed with cancer. And uh, they've been treating this cancer, and just recently uh, they've determined there's really nothing more they can do, and he's put under hospice care. Just such a difficult thing to watch him uh, deal with this difficulty from afar and his wife and, of course, his family. And so she writes recently after disclosing uh, that he is under hospice care, she quoted from the book of Lamentations, Chapter 3 and from Psalm 31. And she said, This He shot his arrows deep into my heart. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this the unfailing love of the Lord never ends. His mercies. We have been kept from, by his mercies, we have been kept from complete destruction. And then, I am dying from grief. My tears are shortened by sadness. Misery has drained my strength. I am wasting away from within. I am trusting you, O Lord, saying, you are my God. My future is in your hands. You see, there's a depth there of affirmation of the goodness of God in the middle of her harsh difficulty. Uh, It's much more than simply saying a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. It's some sort of psychological trick. It is an understanding and it is a softening to the work and the mighty acts of God in her life, as bitter as they are. And her suffering is bitter beyond words, she says, quoting from the scripture, but she is not bitter towards God. And in her hardship, Her heart aches, but it has not become hard. And so we have that temptation as we deal with difficulty in our lives from a heart response to grow hard and bitter in heart to God's mighty acts. We read of God's mighty acts in the Psalms. Here's one example, Psalm 29, starting with verse 2. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars, or we might say the pines and the oaks. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. And then Psalm 29, 9. The voice of the Lord strips the forest bare. And in his temple, all cry, Glory. Glory at the mighty acts of God in nature, leading to the praise of God. And that comes from a soft, responsive heart to a God that is awesome. And we find here in our text that part of what God does through his mighty acts, mighty acts in your life, is that you might give praise to God and that others might know. And give praise to God as you have experienced a softening of your heart and a closeness to God through it. And it's highlighted in our text in what is passed on to children and grandchildren. Exodus chapter 10 verse 1. I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants. Why? That I may show these signs of mine among them and that you may tell in the hearing of your son And of your grandson, how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that they may know that I am the Lord. So do you pass down to your children and your grandchildren the mighty acts of God as they come to bear in your life and you experience them? I mentioned in the past that my own family history, my father came from a less than ideal family situation with a good bit of difficulty in his life and that God was gracious to him and gracious uh, to my, uh, my mother and gracious to um, his children, uh, me and my two sisters, um, and even uh, to my children and the children of my sisters, um, not just in giving us a A more functional, less dysfunctional family, uh, but mostly in the person of Jesus Christ and knowing what it means to have faith and to trust in and to know God as Savior through the mighty acts of Jesus Christ. And one of the ways that he would convey these things, my father, growing up was through family devotions. And I don't know if you, whatever you call them, it could be personal worship. It really is a time of personal worship with your family where you gather together and you speak the word uh, in your family, and you pass along uh, the mighty acts of God, what he's done, and, and and how it applies to your family, how it applies to you. You share the stories of what God has done in your life. And, and as a child, I remember not being particularly interested in family devotions, um, but I really remember, as I did family devotions with my children, how they were really not interested in family devotions. Uh, that they would roll their eyes as we would come together after dinner at night. It's time for family devotions. And they would groan. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was at my son's installation. He's a pastor in North Carolina. And we got there the first night. We were in his home. And as things were sort of wrapping up for the night and they were getting ready to put the kids down, he said, would you like to... Uh, Stay here for our family devotions. (laughs) You're doing family devotions with your kid? You hated family devotions. And he's doing it with his children. He went through God's word and he uh, broke out his ukulele. He's a little bit more musical. And he sang and they sang songs together praising God for his mighty acts. Passing along from your children to your grandchildren. And that includes worship. The priority of worship together. When we come together here on Sunday morning or any other time of worship, uh, you're not just here to hear a sermon. You are here to worship. The sermon is part of the worship where we proclaim the mighty acts of God. So is that a priority for you? Do you help your children understand the priority of coming together, not in a legalistic way, but again, that's the point of this passage today, that you might pass on to your children and your grandchildren the mighty acts of God and what they mean in your life as your heart responds to that. And part of that is understanding that God is a God of justice. That's part of what we see here, the mighty acts of God in meting out his justice against the Egyptians. The mighty acts of God are not all sugar and spice and everything nice. And if that's all you communicate to your children and your grandchildren, then neither you nor they are equipped for life. Because one of the important aspects is God dealing in his justice. We read in Exodus chapter ten, two, And that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. The Egyptians were dealt with harshly for their treatment of the Israelites, for the slavery of the Israelites, and for the disobedience that Pharaoh exhibited against God. We want justice. When people people do something against us or people we care about, we want justice. Just this week, uh, the Michigan Uber driver, Justin Dalton, was convicted of killing six people. And in response, he was sentenced to life without parole, which is the harshest punishment in Michigan law. And one victim's son said of the judgment, we've waited nearly three years of difficult delays for this evil murderer to be brought to justice. The Kalamazoo County prosecutor, Jeff Getting, said of this particular particular justice meted out, he said... Uh, Dalton will likely live another 25 to 30 years in prison or approximately 10,000 days. He went on to say, 10,000 days does not come close to what you deserve. I wish somehow it could be more. And it will be more. Because there is a God who meets out justice. There is a day of judgment. Romans chapter two verse sixteen on that day when according to my gospel God judges the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians five ten for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Hebrews nine twenty seven and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Second Peter three seven, that by the same word the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment. Revelation 6.10 They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? In Revelation 11.18 The nations raged, but your wrath came and the time for the dead to be judged. All of these verses are from the New Testament, sometimes thought of as that portion of the Bible that doesn't deal uh, in harshness and difficulty. But there is a judgment day. And justice is seen and borne witness to and the great and mighty acts of God in justice are seen supremely in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's where we gain encouragement personally from the justice of God. The judgment fell on Christ. God himself the eternal Son of God came into this world and took on a human body and a human soul and lived the perfect life and took God's judgment in our place. So that as we transfer our trust from ourself to Jesus Christ, if we trust in what Christ has done in his perfect life and his death on the cross, then he receives what we deserve and in God's eyes we receive his perfection. Because we have a debt. We have a debt that cannot be paid. We cannot pay it. I was talking to a neighbor uh, down the street this week, and he was talking about sort of the crazy uh, insurance situation that he and so many find themselves in where the insurance company will give you a certain portion of your check to do roof repair or whatever it is, and then they expect you to go and finish uh, the job, and then they will cut you a check uh, to pay for the rest of it. And he said, I don't have the money to do that. He said, I'm in debt. I've got $30,000 of credit card debt. Uh, how can I do that? Uh, we have a debt. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, But that Jesus Christ has paid that debt for all who would place their faith in him. Colossians two thirteen and 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses... And in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And so God saved me by his wonderful act of justice, his awesome deed placed upon the person of Jesus Christ on my behalf. And I tell my children and my grandchildren about it, the mighty acts of God. As God softens our hearts to be responsive, to have faith in Jesus Christ, to repent of our sins, we experience the wonder of his redemption. And we pass that along to our children and our grandchildren. Just very quickly, a a parenthetical comment here on that. It's not the primary emphasis, but it is a secondary emphasis, is that is, Not only do we communicate with our children and our grandchildren, but we communicate with others about Jesus Christ and the awesome acts of God. Others will come to know it. And as I was studying this particular word here in the uh, Hebrew that says harshly, God dealt with them harshly, I I found that it was sort of an unusual word in the Hebrew. I won't go into much detail because there are two of us here that would be interested in it. Uh, You can ask me later. But... I found it in an interesting spot in the Old Testament, and it was in 1 Samuel 6, verse 6. And it was essentially a repeat of what God communicated in the book of Exodus, chapter 10. But it was on the lips not of God's people, but the Philistines. And the Philistines said this, Why should you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? And he had dealt severely or harshly, same word, with them. Did they not send the people away and they departed? The Philistines are saying, we are in big trouble because this is the way God deals with people who mess with his people. This was approximately two and a half centuries later, right? The mighty acts of God had been communicated from one generation to the next. And so it's up to us as well to communicate with those around us and even those around the world that they would know the awesome acts of God. So the Apostle Paul said in Romans 15, in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, and then he conveys all of these prophecies from the Old Testament. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. That's why, for instance, uh, even out of our church, uh, the Sato's are going to go to Japan. I know a number of you knew that. A number of you uh, did not know that, but are Uh, members of our church, Nathan and Elizabeth and their family are going to go and work uh, primarily with university students in Japan. Why? So that they will hear the mighty acts of God and they will, in the providence of God, God will soften their hearts and they'll respond to the mighty awesome acts of God and will put their faith in Jesus Christ. So we need to convey what God has done in his mighty acts and pray that God would soften the hearts of others and not harden them in response to this great word. So the mighty acts of God impact our human hearts. What does it look like? What does it not look like? Well, it it looks like humility. It does not look like uh, pride. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? And there is a sense in which all of us can fall prey to that in hard-heartedness, in our pride, say, Who made you the boss of me? And we see when it comes to God, in the case of Pharaoh, it's not a, very, uh, not a very positive outcome. And so, of course, God is the boss of us, and we bow the knee to him when we have a soft and repentant heart. What is repentance unto life? Repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner out of a true sense of his sin, and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ does with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God with full purpose and endeavor after new obedience. God had given Pharaoh at least nine opportunities, really more than nine opportunities, but there are nine plagues in which he had an opportunity to repent. And as we said in previous sermons that Negotiating with God is not a sign of a soft heart, nor is partial obedience. Remember hearing from a, uh, when I, we had younger children, somebody uh, made this comment. I can't remember who made it, but uh, it stuck with me, and that is delayed obedience is disobedience. Right, parents? You ever tempted to say that to your kids? Delayed obedience is disobedience. Well, that's true. A partial obedience is disobedience. God said this to Pharaoh, and he said, I want to do something less than that, less of something that would be a potential hit to me. I mean, I don't want to lose uh, the Israelites as slaves. um, Something that requires less faith. You see, Pharaoh's servants gave him this idea, and we think that they sounded like they were repentant, but they weren't. Pharaoh's servants said, how long shall this man be a snare to us? So far, so good. They're thinking rationally. Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. And so what does Pharaoh say to Moses? Go serve the Lord your God, but which ones are to go? We shall go with our young and our old. He goes, nope, just the men shall go. And Moses said, fine, I hope you like locusts. Because that's what came in response to Pharaoh's hard-heartedness, his partial obedience and compliance to God's word. Well then, after this false repentance, he says, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you, now therefore forgive my sins, please, only this once, again, only this once. Um, But he appears to be repentant. But then later we find when the plague of darkness comes on the land. And this is evidently a very oppressive darkness the people can't even get out of their homes. And it affected not the Israelites. They had light, but only the Egyptians. Moses is called back. So he says, well, okay, go serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain, right? Okay, so I've changed my mind. I said you couldn't send your kids out with you, but they can go, but you need to leave your flocks and herds. Moses says, no, nope. it all has to go. And so Pharaoh says, get away from me. I never want to see your face again. When I see it, you'll die. Partial obedience is not repentance. Partial obedience is not a demonstration of a soft heart. And a hard heart is its own worst punishment. Pharaoh's hard heart was its own worst punishment. It wasn't the locust. It wasn't the darkness. It reminds me of that tragic character from Lord of the Rings Gollum if you've seen the movie or read the books he has this desire for this ring and he will not let go of it in his mind and then finally he actually possesses it he gets it Gollum cries out my precious oh my precious and with that even as his eyes were lifted up to gloat on his prize he stepped too far toppled wavered for a moment on the brink And then with a shriek he fell, out of the depths came his last wail, precious, and he was gone, holding on to the ring until his destruction. A heart that is not willing to give what God calls us to give is its own worst punishment, a hard heart. And by the opposite token, a soft, responsive heart in and of itself is the best gift of God. Max Lucado quoting Ezekiel 36:26 says, "I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you." And then he gives this personal account, "Some years ago I underwent a heart procedure. The plan went like this. A cardiologist would insert two cables in my heart via a blood vessel. One was a camera, the other was an ablation tool. To ablate is to burn. Yes, burn." If all went well, the doctor, to use his coinage, would destroy the misbehaving parts of my heart. As I was being wheeled into surgery, he asked if I had any questions. You intend to kill the misbehaving cells? Yes. The doctor said, that is my plan. He said, as long as you're in there, could you take your little blowtorch to some of my greed, selfishness, superiority, and guilt? He smiled and answered, Sorry, that is out of my pay grade. And indeed it was. But it's not out of God's. He is in the business of changing hearts. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared. Titus 2.11. The floodgates are open and the water is out. You never know when the grace will seep in. Could you use some? Yes, we could. The soft-hearted person has experienced the greatest Blessing there is to experience. Emma Paloka was a student in a campus ministry in England and she writes, life can be messy. Slowly you learn to hide the mess inside where no one else can see, just you. And you don't forget to smile. They're watching. That was how I thought for a long time, even as a Christian. I put my trust in Jesus to save me back in 2003. And despite this I had a lot of lust, emotional chaos, pride, and fear that were so rooted in me, and I hid it all. But I thought I could balance my dark thought life with a super bright outward life. So I formed a resume to prove it. I was a top student, head girl prefect, involved in Christian clubs and sports, the whole lot. I did have a genuine relationship with God, but there were areas of my mind that I thought he couldn't handle. So instead of giving them to him... I walked around with a burden of guilt and a masking smile. When I put my trust in Jesus years ago, I knew I had received the gift of eternal life. But in 2008, I heard more about this grace that completely changed my understanding. For the first time, I genuinely understood that at the cross where Jesus died for my sin, everything that's wrong with us was put on Jesus and Jesus' perfection was put on us. I read 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And it blew my mind. Later down the road, God helped me to share my struggles with other Christians who prayed hard for me. And I saw God deliver me in a mighty way. I learned that his grace can handle all of me. And each day, God continues to shape my heart as I experience and understand more deeply his approval and unchanging love for me in Christ. My campus ministry in the UK has helped me grow in this and share the same freedom with others. The truth of God's love displaces the lies in my mind, and now I can really say I am free in Christ, and really smile too. The mighty acts of God are in your life. The saving acts of God are in your life. The difficult acts of God are in your life. Soften your heart and experience this great blessing of God. Father, we come to you today admitting that difficult things are difficult. They're hard. And while we know we're to count it all joy because we know that trials can lead to a change of our heart, and a change of our life for the better. We don't ask for them, yet they come. And so we pray that you would give us grace upon grace. And primarily, you would give us the grace of a soft heart that you might do your work in our hearts and that we might know the joy of trusting in you, that you would remove all bitterness from our hearts, that we would instead be soft and repentant and filled with faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And let's continue to worship God by singing, O Thou That Hearst When Sinners Cry. This is going to be new words for many of you, but you, you will uh, recognize the tune. So let's stand and sing, O Thou That Hearst When Sinners Cry.